This is the Straight Dope episode 16. We're going to continue the wind talk, so this is going to be on the spicy scale medium. If you haven't heard mild, go back and listen to mild. This is going to be medium, where we apply things at the next level and try to make clear how we're taking the data that we're getting from our devices or from our environment and applying it towards our wind calls. But before I do that, I'm going to take a second at the beginning here instead of the end to talk about supporting the podcast in a way that you feel like you're able to do that by sharing, telling your friends about it, making posts, and also going to riflecraft.com, logging your targets, and if you want to help financially, order a shirt when you're at Riflecraft or subscribe to riflecraft.com and get added features. Not only will you get stuff that helps you out, but you'll be helping out the podcast. Wear the shirt, subscribe to riflecraft.com, and or share. It really does go a long way towards helping promote this. And for what would be the cost of a couple drinks a month, you'll be helping push things in the direction that you want to. Like I say, in a lot of podcasts and in real life, people vote with their wallets. And so if you like something, vote for it, support it, and things will continue in that particular direction. People buy and pay for all sorts of crazy things that we see out there, and you wonder why they still exist. And it's because of that reason. Things stick around when they get the support, and they disappear when they don't. So if you want to help out, get a shirt, subscribe to Riflecraft, share, make posts, and talk about what you're learning And whether or not you agree with everything I say, the idea isn't that this is gospel. The idea is that we're kind of challenging the gospel and trying to find ways to make applicable the things we hear and show the results instead of just say that it should be working. We can prove that they're working or not. And so I would hope that the shooters out there are able to better do whatever your goal is. So if your goal is to hunt better, or shoot paper better, or score at a competition better, or just understand how to do things better, I would hope that we could quantify that. And that was the whole intent of Riflecraft as a way for you to log your fundamentals over time and show that you are literally improving. And your equipment, whether or not your equipment improves, your shooting skills should be able to be quantified and prove that over time with an online journal of sorts. So let's get back to wind. We talked about uh, wind speed and measuring wind speed, and now we need to start talking about things that aren't full value. Now, I tend to think of full value as three o'clock, but sometimes it gets described as nine o'clock. Um, I think people have, you know, either way, it's the same, but wind is this force. And so, uh, or Some people might want to say that there's a vector to it, a vector quantity. But it's this thing that's pushing stuff in the direction that it's moving, right? And so that has an effect on our bullet. And we can't always shoot perpendicular to the wind, which would be pretty cool if we could, but we can't. And because of that, the angle that it's pushing our bullet is is not perpendicular or what, what I would call full value. Full value is coming from three o'clock or coming from nine o'clock. And, and that's the way I'm thinking about it. There might be other ways of describing 
um, that. But but when I say full value, all I mean is that it's coming in at three o'clock or nine o'clock. And when I think about it in my head, I just happen to be a three o'clock is the full value, uh, and then apply it to whatever whatever those directions are. But as that angle changes from three to head on, or twelve o'clock or six o'clock. Um, the effect that it has on the bullet flying through the air changes. And one of the things that gets tossed around are clock angles, like, uh, you know, thinking about it like a clock. And so uh, we've already done that, and I want you to think about that for a sec. But to better help understand what I'm talking about, what would really help is to grab a paper, like a, a big piece of printer paper or something, and draw a clock, preferably something that was big, because I'm going to ask you to do a couple things that I think visually help understand some of the things that make people's eyes gloss over. Another thing you can do is go on Sniper's Hide and print out that corrected wind speed rows uh, that, that are on there for you to look at, and it's got corrected wind calls and wind speeds that are on it. I think that visually, some people learn better, some people hear things better, some people have to see it in person, but as I describe things, I'm going to give you a little exercise um, that that I kind of came up with. Uh, I don't know that I've seen it done like this necessarily, but it, but it helps me as I was screwing around on Instagram and Facebook and chatting with people. So... First thing I want you to do is, is draw a clock as best you can. And, and uh, even if you have to print out a clock that's the size of a piece of printer paper, and then look at it. And so if you're shooting at the dire- if your target is always 12 o'clock, so you're always going to orient yourself towards your target at 12 o'clock, and the wind is coming from three or nine, all we have to do is talk about the relationship that that wind speed is to your gun's number, right? If the wind is 10 miles an hour, and your gun number is five, shooting at 400 yards, you're going to hold 0.8. And if that doesn't make sense, you need to go back and listen to the podcast before where we talk about gun number, right? The wind number of your rifle. If we're shooting at 600 yards and the wind is 10 miles an hour and you have a five mile an hour gun, you're going to hold 1.2 mils to the right. But the wind does change its angles. And as it changes the angle, the vector quantity with that direction involved changes. And that is something that is easily dealt with with trigonometry. And I'm not a math instructor or professor, and so we're going to try to boil it down to kind of common sense language. But the common sense language that we've dealt with goes back to using those mathematical concepts of a fraction. And so if you think of a three o'clock wind as being full value or the value of one, right? It's one 10 mile an hour wind, right? That's full, like 10 times one. Um, that's, that's what it is. Or, or if it's eight miles an hour, it's eight times one is eight, right? So that's one. And if you think of it as coming on from 12 o'clock or six o'clock, that's zero or zero times, you know, whatever quantity of wind it is. So it's zero. And so we're always going to be talking about a value that's between zero and one. One is full value and zero is head on or, or tail on. And so because of that, we're going to be dealing with a decimal Right, or a fraction of that full quantity or that full vector quantity that's coming in from a particular direction. 
Now, the way that we figure out that fraction is the angle that it's coming in. And you might have a compass and you might have a kestrel or binoculars that tell you that angle, but we all stare at clocks all day. And most of us um, have looked at analog clocks so that we understand it. I think there's probably a generation that is probably not learning how to use analog clocks that this might get complicated for. But my guess is if you're listening to this, you've seen an analog clock and you can think of the wind as you know, somewhere between that three o'clock and 12 o'clock, or if it, or if it's behind you at, at four 30, uh, it's the same idea, right? Four 30 is the same thing as one 30 and, and, and seven 30 is going to be the same and, 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 and so on and so forth. That's the angle that I'm going to discuss. And if you break down the hours into 30 minutes, so 12 o'clock, 1231, 1.30, 2, 2.30, 3, those turn out to be 15 degrees. So if we break the wind into 15 degree chunks and we look at the ratio of the full value wind to the angle, that, that's what cosine is doing. If we consider that we're aiming at 12 o'clock and the wind is coming in from the side at whatever angle, it gives us... Um, uh, a fraction or a ratio of the full value force. Now, if you want to visualize that, that's why I had you draw the clock. What I want you to do is draw a straight line, right? You have straight lines from 12 to 6. You have straight lines from 9 to 3. So that, that center of the clock to 3, I want you to fill that in really dark because that's going to be your value of 1, right? That's going to be your full value win. And now I want you to make vertical lines, like with a ruler or another piece of paper, connecting 12.30 and 5.30. And then I want you to make a straight line connecting 1 and 5. And another straight line connecting 1.30 and 4.30. And another straight line connecting 2 and 4. And then another straight line connecting 2.30 and 3. So now you're going to have the 12 to 6 is 0. You're going to have another line connecting 12.30 and 5.30, another line connecting 1 and 5, another line connecting 1.30, 4.30, another 2 to 4, 3, 2.30 to 3.30, and 3. Now, if you look, they're not evenly spaced. The ratio that those lines are, they fill up a fraction of that 1, right? That, that value from the center of the clock to 3. So that 12.30 to 5.30 line, that back to center is about 25%, right? It's about, I'm just going to round it out because the way I think about it, like Emil Praslik describes, is you kind of round it out so that it's easy to remember. If you look at those sections, right, from that first one in is 25%. From the 1 o'clock line, like the 1.5, that and in, that's about 50%. From 1.30 to 4.30, that's a, it's 71 something, but I say 75. So 25, 50, 75%, right? Or 70% if you want to get really anal. 71%, right? So we got 25, 50, 75, and then we got like 89-ish. So we go 90, 95, 100. That's the percentage of full value wind coming in from those particular angles. So when you look at the corrected wind rows that's available on Sniper's Hide, uh, you'll notice that those values kind of correspond to those particular fractions, but he's boiled it down just to the number. But if you think about it as 
a ratio of full. That ratio is split into the clock angles as 25, 50, 75, and then 90, 95, 100. If you do that, I don't think you could outshoot the difference between the actual cosine. What would be tricky is that you know, if you get the angle wrong between 1230 and 1, that's 25% error of your wind call, which could be pretty significant. So if you really want to get anal, you might want to like, but it's very hard to determine a 15%, less than a 15% change in wind angle, which is why it's very hard to shoot when the wind is switching from right to left in front of you, or it's, or it's quartering in between 12 and 1. Because you've got 50% of your wind call varying. And if you're shooting far on small targets, that's going to be a heck of a lot harder to get a precise wind call to a mile an hour in a strong wind than it might be if it's going from 230 to 330 because now you've got only variations from 90% to 100, right? So that's like a 10% change in wind versus potentially a 50% change in wind. But that's why um, experts like uh, Emil Praslik and the, the folks that wrote the wind book for rifle shooters, talk about your percent, your hit percentage really coming down to your ability to, to, to call the wind speed because the amount of error built into a change in wind direction far exceeds shooters' abilities to shoot tight groups. And that's why I have this as a medium level, because this isn't hard to understand. We could talk about it for 20 minutes. You can write down and draw the clock angles and get the corrected wind rows. But when you're making your wind call, you need to kind of embed and and um, free up this, the, the mental kind of bandwidth to make those quick calculations between wind speed and your gun number, and then multiply them by those percentages, 25, 50, 75, 90, 95, 100. And when you can start to do that on the fly, your wind calls will get much better. My wind calls have been improving kind of exponentially over the years since I've been working at this, but I've been putting in a lot of time doing it, and there are still shooters that are better, which is why I'm going to bring in shooters to talk about the the spicier levels of wind because I continually learn something from them and they continually outcall me in scenarios that um, that I've found when I'm shooting with them. And John Pinch is one of those guys that every time I shoot with him, he's able to demonstrate that he has a higher functioning level of on-the-fly wind calls because he's paying attention to those subtler things. You can't pay attention to the very subtle feedback things of the spicier levels until you have these mild and medium levels dialed in. And I'm going to say that again because I believe that that is true for all shooting skills. When you nitpick and do something specific to tune up your shooting, like, um, you know, let's say you're hand loading and you've got a half inch load and you tune it down to a quarter inch load but your craft number is a four, you're not really going to see that effectively when you're shooting at distance because you're likely going to miss because your fundamentals suck and your hit percentage isn't really going to change as a result of making your load a quarter inch better 
when you're shooting multiple inches, you know, or, 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 or you're shooting a group size that's bigger than the targets that you're trying to hit, you're just gambling with lead. Once your numbers fall into the 100% hit rate category, then you'll start to be able to quantify and see results from those finer things. So I think that there's a sequence that is better off investing your time in, which is the low-hanging fruit concept, which is start at the biggest thing that's going to have the biggest gains first, right? Changing your rifle loadout from a 20-pound rifle to a 19-and-a-half-pound rifle isn't going to show you a whole lot of improvement compared to other things that you can do until you get those under control where you'll actually be able to see those results as reflected in hit rates or group size on paper or something like that. So the cosine gives you an angle-adjusted percentage of a full value vector, right? And for wind, this works out very, very well. And so if you're able to change your kestrel, you can change it to the angle itself of wind uh, and target direction. There are ways for you to, to calculate the precise angle that it's coming in. Or you can use the clock method. If you turn your kestrel sideways so that the, the little propeller stops spinning, when it stops spinning, that means it's perpendicular to the wind. So if you want a quick way for you to figure out, well, I, I know it's coming in from one-ish, but that could be 1230 or 130, and you'll say like, wow, that's 50% change in, in, in wind. Like that's a huge error zone, right? If you use the, that impeller and you turn it perpendicular to it and it stops moving, you'll get a better angle. But again, you, you need to understand that when wind's coming between 1230 and 130, that's going to be hard for everyone. And so all those minutiae are going to make a difference based on the percentage of full value. If you enter it into your calculator and you put that angle, whatever it is, um, remember they're 15 degrees at a time. So 130 is going to be 45 degrees. 1230 is going to be 15 degrees. If you figure out that degree and then you enter cosine, it'll give you a decimal and you can multiply that by your wind speed. Or you could take your wind number, your gun number, and just use 25, 50, 75, 90, 95, 100. And if it's in between 50 and 75, then you know do some quick mental math. But that's going to be faster at getting you on plate once you see your impact on plate, now you have an actual win number and you can make that percentage adjustment for the distance and that's going to carry over to other plates, you know, unless you're changing the plate direction, which changes the angle of the wind, which is another conversation down the road. But if you do those things, your hit rate and your wind calls are going to get better right away. It takes a little bit of practice. You just... But that's practice that you could do on pencil and paper. Say, okay, my gun is whatever the miles an hour. Let's take this random wind speed. Let's take this angle and start doing quick mental math. Because you have to be able to do that on the fly. So whatever it is that you do, you need to practice it so that it happens relatively quickly. Like you should be able to make a wind call in seconds. And you should be able to tell a wind speed in seconds and communicate that in miles per hour. And if you can't, just write it down and start doing those practices. Take the clock and connect those lines ver vertically so that you could visualize 
the actual percentage because the the area that it covers when you connect those um, times on the clock are the actual cosine percentages of full. So you'll notice that that you know when you connect one thirty and four thirty, it's not exactly seventy five, but it's close enough because you're not gonna be able to shoot that three percent difference. Um, and 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 so practically speaking, it works very well to get very very good at making a fast wind call in that ability. Hopefully that wasn't too complex. Uh, I, I don't want it to be too complex. I want it just to be a way for you to think about how do we how do we do what we want to do better. And there are plenty of other ways to do it. This is the way I think about it, and it's helped me. So I'm hoping that you could apply that towards uh, your particular stuff. So let's hit the brakes on that. And I had some comments about the um, the the digital compass and the binocular rangefinder stuff. And some of the comments were, you know, asking me about the level of accuracy of the compass and the digital technology that's in there. And I guess my answer is that um, companies are selling us products. And, and when a company just says, you know, like we, these are the standards that we produce this, you know, live with it. Uh, you know, it makes me laugh a little bit because we have the option of buying or not buying companies' products. And so if people are making a product that doesn't have the level of accuracy and precision that we want, we just stop buying it. They need to produce equipment that satisfies our requirements. And if our requirements are you need to have a better digital compass or you need to have a better laser, they either produce it or they go out of business because we stop buying it, not the other way around. And so if a rifle company produces shitty rifles, hopefully people stop buying them and the people that make rifles start listening. Hey, people want an accurate compass. People want an accurate rangefinder. People want accurate bullets with accurate data. And it's up to those companies to provide what we're asking for, not the other way around. And, and I feel that wholeheartedly. Now, granted, you know, there's only so much that they can do, but if their time is invested in giving you bells and whistles that don't do what they claim to be able to do, there's a problem there because they're selling you bells and whistles that don't do shit. That's not okay. And we just need to say, this is what we want them to do. And here's the parameters that we plan on using them. And if they don't do it, you know, we won't buy it and don't sell us stuff that we can't use. Seems to make perfect sense. Now, there's plenty of stuff out there I can't afford that does stuff like that, right? There's laser wind finders. There's, you know, lasers that range to multiple miles down to the centimeter or whatever. You know, I don't need it, and I can't afford it. So that's another conversation. But there are things that we can ask for that are actually practical, Whereas people are offering things now that, that aren't necessarily practical because there aren't real ways to apply it in the field the way that we intend on using it. And then there's other features that can't do what we need them to do. And all that takes is a little bit of their engineering department reprogramming stuff and rewiring things, repurposing it so that they're applicable for our intended use. And if our intended use is widespread, like I want to go hunting, and I want to be able to tell, you know, my client as a guide, there's an elk at 241 degrees at 450 yards. And you tell me that that one of those numbers is not accurate. 
then your equipment's garbage, <laughs> you know? I mean, a map and compass is accurate, and people are able to navigate with levels of precision using a handheld map and compass better than some of the equipment that's out there that's digital. I think that's kind of laughable. Um, and that's just consumer and driving the market towards our desired philosophy of use, which to me makes perfect sense. And um, that should be a good thing, right? Not a negative thing. So if people bring that up as a negative, you know, that's not, that's not, you know, that's just saying there's space in the market for companies to grab more market share by producing a quality product rather than flooding a market with shitty product. And, and in the shooting world, there's a hell of a lot of very shitty equipment out there. And I don't, I don't understand why it still gets sold, but again, people vote with their wallets and that's what keeps it in place. Uh, but I would prefer you guys voted towards supporting Riflecraft and supporting the Straight Dope podcast rather than buying some of the garbage that's out there so we could propagate kind of good information and, and push skill and application forward and then have the industry trying to chase us rather than the other way around. Um, but I appreciate the feedback. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. You know, the, the idea that we want to be able to use it and do stuff should be exciting to the industry not something that they're scared of. And they should be working really hard to provide us with products and services that help us towards our goal, not confuse it and, and justify why we should be doing something else. Um, you know, people that like to hunt want to go hunt. And telling us to grow vegetables instead is probably not the right answer if they want to stay in business. Uh, I mean, I like vegetables, but but you get what I'm trying to say. So, Anyway, this is the medium wind. It's going to take some practice, but just like anything, you got to put in a little bit of work. And the work that you need to put in here is get your number and then start working on cutting angles and then making those multiplication factors work for you very quickly so that when you go out in the field, you can apply them. Um, and uh, probably one of the very best ways to test it that I can vouch for and encourage people to try is to go to an NRL hunter match. It forces you to make your own wind calls. It forces you to locate range and engage targets at different angles with different and varying wind conditions. And it tests your ability to manage that in a realistic time frame and calculate your hit percentage because the targets aren't ridiculously small and they're not ridiculously far away. You could essentially take anything that you have and test your ability on the clock to manage that data and make good calls. And, um, you know, I've been doing some of them. Just went to one in California and was able to validate, I think, that, you know, it's working for me and I'm growing as a shooter as a result. You can enter as a competitive person or you can enter on what they're calling a skills division, which is not scored and you can be coached to a certain extent and you can get help to a certain extent, but you do get to go out and test your skills and learn, you know, what, what your weaknesses might be in terms of gear manipulation, target acquisition, wind calling, ballistic, uh, you know, knowledge and, and, and all of that, and then be able to go home and train. I think that that type of laboratory setting 
is invaluable to anybody who shoots because it tells you where you're at and what you need to work on to improve to better achieve the goals that you have down the road. And so from time to time in your training, you need to take a break and go test yourself. And that is probably the best test that's out there right now is the NRL Hunter. And if you're afraid of you know, being, being scored competitively, then just enter it as a skills division shooter and um, take that data down and get that feedback and then get back towards training and, and shooting and whatever it is that your goals are. Anyway, uh, if you like this, again, please share, like, subscribe, and help kind of perpetuate the growth of, of, of this type of thing. Uh, support it if you want to financially. Get a shirt. They're pretty badass. Subscribe to Riflecraft. And uh, if you don't, then thanks for listening. But I, I see that there's many thousands of unique listeners listening to this, and they wouldn't continue to listen if they didn't like it, right? Which would be totally crazy to listen to something that you don't like. So I know that there's thousands of you listening, and I also know that there's not thousands of you supporting it. So um, it's time to uh, put your money where your mouth is and and help out by sharing, liking, subscribing, and or, and or doing, you know, parts of that or or don't you know i'm gonna keep doing this until i can't so uh until next time